quick commercial. Yeah, here are my two books, especially notes to screenwriters. Uh, if you're interested in visual storytelling um, at all, uh, this is a good book. It's uh, the book that I couldn't find out there, so I finally had to create it. Uh, but it's notes on the writer, notes on story, notes on um, the screenplay, and then finally notes on uh, what do you do with how do you get started in this business. But if you're just interested in watching movies better and appreciating them more, then the whole central section of the book is how to watch movies. And uh, you might be interested in that. Anyway, it's on Amazon, and uh, you can, you know, get, get that. I also, I mean, really here, the reason my boss let me be here today is so that I promote this program, which we are launching in January, uh, the new CERC. Uh, they've had an MA and MFA in screenwriting at Regent, but it's been common. Uh, not very good, and now uh, we have really created the program that I wished I could have taken when I was a student starting out. Uh, it's a very smart program, the MA, MFA program and the MA as well. It's, um, it's rigorous. If you are a real writer and a believer who wants to throw your hat in the ring with the best, uh, this program is going to put you put through your paces. And so it's on, you can do it either online it's completely online, or you can take it on campus. Uh, I wish you'd take it on campus because it's, I hate online education, but there we go. Anyway, so um, this building at the top here is our film production building and theater at Regent. It's a $54 million facility. We have two Hollywood-sized sound stages, um, 117 camera setups. Uh, it's quite um, very, very well equipped. You have to give the Protestants their due. They invest in media, including in me, right? Uh, so, okay. Um, so quickly, just a little background about me getting this movie, uh, Fatima. And I just want to say, I am like you. Huh? I grew up in a really, really Catholic family. Uh, the liturgical year was the center of our year. You know, we wore scapulars. We, I went to Catholic school all the way. Um, I, you know, we had family prayer. Um, our feast days were celebrated. Uh, it was... Um, very much, uh, I, was, I grew up very, very heavy Catholic culture, and Our Lady of Fatima was part of that uh, very much. My mother was educated by the Ursulines, and she had a plan to raise her daughters to be strong Catholic women, and indeed, uh, it played out. So uh, then at, at the end of my junior year of high school, I went to Magdalen College, and, um, and then my junior year of Magdalen College, I entered the Daughters of St. Paul. Uh, they're a media community, and I was there with them for nine years. Uh, basically, we had a uh, contemplative active community, so we prayed three hours a day, and then we worked in media. Um, so with the Daughters, I helped edit books. Um, I mainly worked in shipping, but then they put me out in the book centers, and I ran marketing uh, in the various houses, including... Um, helped build the Los Angeles house. And it was when I was out serving in LA that I thought, huh, the church needs some kind of outreach to the entertainment industry. I was kind of aghast to discover that there was none, that the Archdiocese of Los Angeles had no official outreach to Hollywood, the most influential people group on the planet, and the church was living like they weren't there. And I have to say, in 23 years of living out there, I heard two homilies that mentioned the entertainment industry. Um, imagine that. Imagine how ridiculous that is. Um, but there we go. Okay, so my particular, so I, anyway, I, I was kind of set up 
for this gig, writing this movie uh, from my own culture, right? I, I knew the world of it uh, very well. Um, and then personally with Fatima, I have some interesting little connections. And uh, one is, uh, so St. Jacinta Marto was born on February 20th, and that happens to be my birthday. So my mother raised me to be, she's your special saint. And this was long before she was canonized, but my mother was like, she's going to be your special friend because she, you have the same birthday. And so I always grew up with a devotion to her, um, the little Jacinta of Fatima. And everyone focuses on Lucia, but, you know, because of the, this connection I had with her. So kind of interesting. In high school, I went to Our Lady of Fatima High School in Warren, Rhode Island, and uh, there's Our Lady of Fatima right out front. And it was a, a, a ministry of the Sisters of St. Dorothy, which if you know anything about Lucia of Fatima, before she became a Carmelite, she was a sister of St. Dorothy. St. Paula Frasinetti founded this community. And uh, Lucia was with them for a number of years. It's just that they were too public. They were ed in education, and the crowds were just beleaguering her. So she went into Carmel to kind of, you know, get away from a lot of that. Uh, but because she had been a, a sister of St. Dorothy, uh, my school was absolutely infused with uh, the Fatima lore. Uh, my community, the community of nuns who ran the school were all from Portugal, and they were very invested in it. So again, I heard about it a lot. The way I got the gig, though, was uh, one day I picked up the phone, and um, uh, an Australian accent said, Mel Gibson told me to call you. And uh, this man was a partner with Mel running uh, pubs in Australia, a business partner, uh, but he was also a very deep Catholic, a convicted Catholic, and he was making a movie about Fatima that ended up coming out as um, a little film called The 13th Day. But he brought it to Mel because it had a lot of problems, and Mel told him to call me. Uh, because he remembered me from the notes I gave on the Passion um, like two years before, which was quite nice. So, I mean, how often do you get that call, right? But anyway, so this guy flew me to Australia, and I worked with them for six weeks until it became really obvious that the people making the movie didn't have the possibility of really executing a feature film. They didn't have the, the skill, the, the history, the money. Um, and so... I brought the project back to a company I knew in Los Angeles and said, this really deserves a feature film treatment. Uh, can we do it? And so that was about 2006. Uh, and then it took two years for them to get enough money to pay me to write the screenplay. I wrote the screenplay in 2008, 2009. And then we waited to raise the money for the next, you know, we were so trying to get it to come out for the 100th anniversary and we pitched to over 200 Catholic investors over the years. Uh, we just couldn't get the money together. And finally, the money came together through European partnerships, but that came with a lot of strings attached. And so things in the movie um, that I've had kind of thrown in my face by conservative Catholic readers and press, uh, it, it's not that I wanted it that way, but there, there wasn't much I could do as a writer. I had turned it over, but we can talk about that. Okay, so um, that's how I kind of got the gig, and then I'm going to now say how I thought about it. I have been at the center, in some ways, of the conversation in Hollywood among Christians about uh, 
what we do in this industry, film and television, uh, contemporary media and art. Uh, I didn't mean to get at the center of it, but I ended up making myself get at the center by creating this program, Act One, uh, and it you know, was trying to be smart, so we were, we were trying to get people that were Christians in the business to think about what they do and, and, uh, and ask how we are doing. Uh, the, you know, the report, if you've heard me before, is not well as a rule. And so I was very aware of what, uh, what secular people tended to say about our movies, uh, movies that Christians made in, you know, in this uh, era, I'm going to say from the 90s on. So uh, Christians were part, you know, especially Catholics were part of uh, great movies that Hollywood made in the past, movies like um, Man for All Seasons, The Song of Bernadette, Gandhi, Tender Mercies, um, et cetera, uh, Chariots of Fire. Uh, these movies, uh, which would now all be produced, by the way, uh, by the faith-based wings at the studios. They would never have a uh, place anymore in the main studio um, story development. Uh, which is bad. But having said that, um, what we've seen in the in the latter half of the sexual revolution years is the church, um, the, any movie that has any kind of faith element being really relegated to its own kind of ghetto. And um, that's the evangelical ghetto mainly, but, the, but we Catholics every so often pop up every four or five years with a, one of our entries into the, the ghetto of small faith-based films. Uh, and, and what you see the secular critics saying is things like this, and I'm not going to read them all, but um, <clears throat> they're soft. I mean, I am going to read them all. I'm not going to expand on them all. But you either appreciate how insulting many of these are or you don't. And I actually agree with them. I think that these critiques are accurate in most cases. Huh? So our movies are soft. They are on the nose. That means they're very literal or they're very um, lacking in subtext. Huh? Uh, they're melodrama, they're cheesy, they're easy, they offer way too easy solutions to human problems. They're earnest in, in that sickening way of someone looking at you and just saying things like a child. Uh, they are not funny if they're comedies or scary if they're thrillers or thrilling if they're thrillers or inspiring. And that one, they are trying so hard to be inspiring, but as a rule, they're not. And um, they're unconvincing, and they're trying so hard to be convincing. Uh, they're muddled. That means they're uneven. So they will have you know, maybe a good line here or there, but the story doesn't hold up, or there's the performances, two are good, and then the other 10 are bad, or uh, the, the lighting is okay, but the costumes and sound are terrible. Like that muddled uh, problem in which we just can't seem to get our whole act together. Um, and then the worst uh, charge is that when Christians make movies, they tend to be propagandistic. Now, uh, so I was very much aware of all of these charges and, and know that, um, again, I, I don't think they're being too hard on us here in this. I, I've seen good movies. And so I know when I see a Bella that it's not. Now, 
some of you are going to say, but I really was inspired by that movie, Paul Apostle. But probably what's going on there is you're projecting on the movie something that you're bringing to it. But you have to kind of look at the movie without that and say, if I was just a regular person, not deep, deep in the Catholic subculture end zone, and I walked into this movie, what would I think of it as a movie? And that's, uh, that's how, where these critics are coming from. So I was very much aware uh, of this, that I, and I had been very hard on movies like this in my own um, kind of blog. I had a blog that had had, had a million hits, uh, which I did movie reviews over the years. And so I knew whatever movie I was going to write, people were going to have their knives out. It's like, okay, it's your turn. Uh, in some ways, uh, and uh, but I was determined not to write one of these. If, if nothing else, God, can we please make it not lame? I, I mean, I made that prayer so much, and not just because I didn't want to be, you know, people to criticize me the way I'd criticize them, but also because I, I wanted to make a movie that would give honor to our faith, to us as artists and professionals, and um, not something that people would have to start excuse away. Well, it was made by Christians, so, you know, give it, you know, give it a break, which is what people say to me all the time. And I'm like, I don't give Warner Brothers a break. Why should I give Sherwood Baptist a break? Uh, in fact, Sherwood Baptist should get less of a break because they claim to have the Holy Spirit, huh? Okay, so this was one thing I was worried about. And, um, you know, so the first challenge of writing a feature film for the mainstream from a Catholic perspective is that Christian media itself is so backward that we, we've acclimated to it in a way that we, we don't have good taste as a community. We don't have good taste. And this becomes a problem when we're hiring people to make movies and television. We don't really know what's bad. We only know what we like. And we, we have a list of, of things that ought not to be in there. Sex, language, and violence, right? But uh, meanwhile, when it comes to, okay, pitching. So one of the problems we had was pitching to qualified Christian investors, Catholic investors, I said, I pitched to probably over 200 in different groups and settings in those 12 years when we were trying to raise the money. And uh, they just didn't have the vision of supporting something like this, a mainstream feature film. Like, why can't we do it for a million dollars? Why does it have to be 10 million? And you would say to them, well, you know, the average Hollywood movie today is 46 million. So we're not really even playing in the same ballpark. Uh, but I would, we would still get that. And then there would be this, the, the number one question that I got when I was trying to, you know, working with the production company to get the money, the number one question we got from Christian investors was, what's my ROI on this? Anybody know what that means? Return on investment. What's my ROI? And I just had to ask myself, you know, so many movies come from the left right now. 
They make a lot of propagandistic movies with their worldview, and they don't really ask that question because they know how much it matters that their worldview be put out there. But on our side, constantly having to justify, yes, you will make your money back, we hope, here's how long, here's how much. Um, you know, and I remember at one point we were trying to sell shares in the film to a big room of, of qualified investors. These are, there was no one in the room who was not a multimillionaire several times over, and some of them scores of millions, right? And um, we were selling shares in the movie at $250,000 um, a share. And uh, one lady listened to the whole presentation, everything, raised her hand, and she goes, well, what can I get for $10,000? And the answer is nothing, <laughs> nothing. Uh, so one of the problems is in Christian media, we, we put on all these pretensions that we're playing major league baseball. With the, you know, we're playing with the, the other side, the other team, and we're really making up. And the truth is we're playing peewee ball. We're not making the investment uh, that they are, and we don't understand why it matters. So another big uh, problem, I remember uh, when the movie Unplanned was in the initial stages, I was involved in uh, reading the script and giving notes, and you know, I begged the producers to, to put some stars in the movie. I said, because this is, this is not a movie that the Today Show is going to want to promote. It's a movie attacking Planned Parenthood. But if you have a named star, then they want her, they'll interview her. And then people will, you'll get some press out of it and everything. And um, they didn't, uh, didn't want to wait to raise the extra money to pay for a star. Well, this is a celebrity-driven business. All the marketing is tied to the stars. So you had no stars in that movie. Um, and so it went as far as it could go. But it didn't get any, pr any promotion, really, except when the industry gave it an R rating. We got, we got some you know, bump out of that. But uh, again. This is one of the first challenges. We're not really playing the game. Uh, and when you're trying to play the game and you're trying to get the rest of the church to play the game, it, it's very hard. You know, that we just don't get it. And we're also a little leery of, you know, how much is a movie anyway? I mean, why should that matter? But we all like to watch them, don't we? <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so particularly the challenge of the movie, though, this particular story that I was aware of was that movies need what we call mass appeal. The formula is for every dollar you spend on a movie, you should buy five sets of eyeballs, at least. So that means if you spend a million dollars, then five million eyeballs ought to see it while it's alive. That's, that's kind of what people think. And when you're talking a global... Uh, movie marketplace, this not too much. I mean, people are watching this movie in Brazil. They're watching it in, you know, in, um, I got a, a message from somebody in um, Madagascar who saw the film. I got people in Slovenia who wrote me who saw the film. Huh? So um, mass appeal. Well, we have, this is a very particular story of a Marian apparition that even a lot of Catholics don't know about. How do you make this have something that people will, in the masses, be engaged in? Huh? Uh, 
movies, secondly, are about a character's arc of transformation. That is usually, as Aristotle says, we want to watch someone go from darkness to light in their understanding through their own sin, weakness, and failures. This becomes a problem when you're dealing with Catholic superstars like Lucia of Fatima. Because if you try to show her sins or her problems or her, or her struggles, you get a whole bunch of people mad in the fan base. I remember once I was hired to write a movie about um, Jose Maria Escriva. And um, I was in Rome and I, they had me interview the postulator for his cause. And I said to him, so talk to me about young Jose Maria. What were his struggles? Because I needed some drama for the movie, right? And this guy looked at me and he goes, no struggles, no struggles at all. <laughs> and like it was that he didn't trust me, somebody coming out of Hollywood, to show any problems at all in the saint. And I think, don't you realize you're taking away from the saint his glory if he was, you know, born a saint and never had to struggle? But it is an issue, um, and some of the criticism towards the film was, you know, that we reduced uh, this great figure that had been chosen by Mary to a whining little girl, you know, a whiny little brat, you know, and, and I was just like, I don't think we did that at all, but you can see where that's coming from, right? Um, finally, movies need a unifying theme. A movie is not a documentary. It's built around an idea that the, the filmmakers have. So in my case, with this script, the idea was Mary as mother. It was about motherhood. Uh, why, would, why would Mary come to us at Fatima? And the only explanation I could come up with is because she's a mother. And we are suffering. And so she had you know, begged God and her son, let me go down and try to you know, win them over one more time. And you understand it from that standpoint. And then you have a little girl whose mother isn't paying any attention to her because she's consumed in the loss of her, um, her nephew. We made him her son for the drama purposes. But um, also, uh, Lucia then finds a new mother that she adopts. And then at the end of the movie, she has to become mother to the world. So motherhood was the theme. And it pervaded the, the script. But that means we had to leave a lot out. You only have two hours. And so again, uh, the challenge of not getting people who were devotees of Fatima angry the way, I, so much hate mail from Catholics. How dare you leave out the Fatima prayer? How dare you not have the second, the, you know, the second vision, Mary said this, and you added that, or you took something from the fourth vision and put it in the second, you know, things like that, that you know, were criticisms basically, you don't get what we're doing here. This is a movie, not a documentary. And we didn't do anything in, against the spirit, I hope, of, of Fatima. But you, you had to organize the telling around this little girl's arc of transformation and the theme. Okay, so yeah, so Lucia is a little girl yearning for her mother's love. This is how we made the pitch to secular people. And this is the main, the main note, by the way, the secular critics picked up that they liked about the movie. This is a story about a little girl who separated from her mother. We can all relate to that, wanting a mother's love. Um, she that she has to grow from being a selfish little girl in some ways, not, not a brat, but she's 
Lucia admits it herself. I only cared about dancing and ribbons and fancy clothes and little dresses, and I had no interest in anything else. And she wouldn't learn to read, but after the, the visions, she completely transforms, right? Um, and so finally, the theme, you can't love God if you don't love other people, is what Lucia learns. It's not like Mary is coming just for her. She figures out Mary cares about all of them, so I'm going to care about them too. Uh, and that's her arc, okay? All right, so um, uh, the second challenge of making a movie of, as a Catholic that you're aiming for the mainstream is that we don't have clout. Clout is cultural power. You get uh, Clout means that you can tell your story the way you want to tell it, um, you know, and you can, like, for example, uh, J.K. Rowling had clout on the Harry Potter movies. Uh, she had page-by-page -page approval on the script. If she didn't like anything on the script, she could just strike it. We, none of us have this kind of clout that are Catholics who are making movies today. You get clout from success, from having real talent that people really want, you know, acknowledge and want and admire, and from money. So uh, this is a problem for us when we sit down to make a mainstream feature film. We don't have um, any of these things, really. And uh, so there you go. So you have to make trade-offs to get things done, okay? Um, the third challenge is dramatizing theological mystery itself, right? So I had to wrestle with this problem of the difference between anti-scripture, literal scripture, and superscripture, or in this case, you know, anti-spiritual uh, aspect of the story, uh, literally the story, or super the story. Um, and what do I mean by that? So literal scripture, these are movies like God's Not Dead, uh, the Jesus movie. Um, Levenshulkels are moving away from this, but for years they trafficked in it, uh, which is don't add anything. And in fact, I remember being in the room when we saw the rough cut of The Passion in Mel's office, and um, this evangelical pastor said to him, you need to lose everything in this movie that isn't in the Bible. And of course, Mel was coming from a more Catholic perspective. He's like, what are you talking about? What's in my movie that isn't in the Bible? And the evangelical said, well, for example, he said, so many things. He said, for example, having the devil in the in Garden of Gethsemane, that is not in the Bible. And Mel said, don't you think he was there? And the guy goes, I don't care what I think. It's not about what I think. It's what's in the Bible. But you see, that idea of um, how dare you add a jot or a dot to this. Um, in, and, and the thing is, in the arts, you don't understand, if you're saying that, you don't understand the Christian tradition in the arts, which has been using Im imagery and symbolism. And, and then, you know, for example, look at, look at medieval painting. They have a medieval painting, I meant to include one here, of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. And they're dressed like medieval courtiers. And in the back is the mayor of the town and this, you know, the Duomo of, of uh, Florence. The uh, artists in the church were never so concerned about literal. That wasn't what they were doing. And so now I see so many Catholics demanding it in the mode of the Protestants uh, that you know, our artists feel so constrained. But um, so we weren't gonna do that. I couldn't do it. We only had two hours. How can you tell the whole six months Fatima story in two hours? You can't. You have to make choices. 
Uh, so then anti-scriptural, of course, that one's easy, where you subvert the basic meaning of the text or the event. Um, you make the original source fodder for whatever your vision is. And, you know, and so these are movies um, on, the, on the good side, you know, things like Son of God. I mean, they meant well there. But uh, Gods and Kings, Noah, obviously, Last Temptation of Christ, these kinds of movies where um, you know, Hollywood just has its way with scriptural texts to be outrageous in the hope that that will get a conversation going and people will come and see it. Um, so obviously we can't do that. Uh, but superscriptural is where I think we need to be. This is where a talented artist who loves these stuff, loves these things, sacred, they're sacred for you. Uh, you apply himself to, himself to interpreting theological mysteries or the scripture with reverence and mastery of craft. So you, you use your imagination to fill in, in the spirit of the scriptures, things that are going to make the scriptures themselves more rich for people, or in this case, the Fatima uh, story. So, you know, one of the things that I read over and over in the review, in um, books that Lucia wrote and interviews and essays was she, she didn't like any of the statues of Mary that she had seen. And you've heard this from Sears. Uh, Bernadette of Lourdes said the same thing, by the way. Uh, she's like, Mary is not a wooden thing standing there straight like that. You know, and she, she hated that depiction. And so we were like, okay, well, we have a problem because the Fatima lore is that Mary appeared standing on a bush, you know, up there. And so we talked about it as a group. And then it was like, you know what? We're going to take her off the tree because from the standpoint of the children, we want, you know, we want it to feel more mothery. Um, and that, because that's how they experienced her, whether she came down off the tree really or not, for the purpose of the movie, we wanted to show that closeness of her with them and how they felt immediately her love for them. You know, right away when Lucia sees her, the very first vision, where are you from? She says, I'm from heaven. And Lucia says, can I go to heaven too? I want to be with you. So, um, but how do you portray that? So we, we took Mary off the tree and uh, we had her, her with the children, you know, physically close. Uh, whether that was literal or not, that's how they felt about it. And I felt I could defend that as being in the spirit of the visions. Huh? Of course, so much criticism. How dare you take her off the tree? Um, et cetera. But um, so there were a lot of decisions made on that basis of um, how can we help people experience the heart of this story, its true meaning uh, more. Um, and uh, that, that was what we we're looking to do. Okay. Um, can't believe how, oh, eight minutes not to do it. Okay. Um, obviously the big, a big problem I'm being, you know, I was very aware that all the critics pretty much are secular and, and, and they, they're in that 10% of people who think that Christianity is what's wrong with the world. They're not the neutral 80% who's like, whatever, right? But they, so how do you sell them on a story, you know, where they have anything from risk aversion about religion um, or fear of being branded Christian by their colleagues? In fact, the director that was eventually chosen who executed the movie, a lovely man, Italian, um, when we were talking and we had a week of meetings, just he and I, and at one point he said to me, Barbara, I cannot let my friends in Hollywood think I've gotten religion. This is the director of the film. 
right? He was terrified that he wouldn't work again. Um, also, you have um, so much ignorance about us and our, what we believe, the scriptures, our stories. They're completely ignorant of it. So they're watching a lot of our stuff like, what? And I was very aware of that. How do you introduce you know, anything that's going on in the movie to people who are completely um, there? And then, you know, let's face it, the truth is eight out of every 10 movie tickets are bought by a 15 to 30-year-old boy. So how do you at least make a shot for them? You know, uh, you're, you know, if you say we're not making this movie for them, nobody wants to hear that in the movie business because they buy eight of, the, eight of every 10 tickets. So you have to find a way to say, you know, in this case, it was Stephanie Gill is very hot right now. She was just in the Terminator movie and she's our lead. <laughs> she did a really good job. Not that bright, but she's a good job. Okay, um, one of the fifth challenges of making a movie, uh, a feature film, a mainstream film from a Catholic story is the devil. So I mentioned before the spitefulness of the devil. Uh, you know, we had weird illnesses just... One of our uh, production people just like started getting terrible migraines. Um, things were lost, computer things deleted. You know, I was saving my script and our changes every 10 minutes after a while because things were just, it was very spiteful. And that to me would give me a sign that uh, we were actually doing something good um, because we were subject to that. But you can't minimize the presence of the devil trying to thwart us when we do something like this. And he causes division, mistrust, chaos. And um, in some sense, you almost need to expect it. But I remember, again, uh, saying to the team um, early on, some, and there were many people who weren't believers that were working on it, and was right when something weird had happened. And I just kind of said offhandedly to one of the women who was a producer, and I said to her, yeah, we're just going to really have to be calling on our angels all the time here doing this. And so she just kind of looked at me. And so the next day, she came up to me with a notebook. And there were two other production guys with her. And she said, Barbara, we were hoping, she's from Britain, we were hoping you could just explain to us, how do we call upon our angels? And I was just like, nah. so we're walking up and down the street in Melbourne, Australia. And I'm explaining how to you know, invoke the angels. I mean, it was like surreal, but there it is. Huh? Okay. Um, okay. So um, I'm not going to spend too much time here on this because time is fleeing. These are all pictures I took at Fatima. This is the abomination of the new church. Um, I, I just wanted to show you how we had this beautiful, beautiful basilica at Fatima. And then, yes, they built, um, they built this thing. Um, and there's just some really ugly art uh, there that's kind of interesting. It's a contrast. But uh, the children are buried here in the uh, basilica. This is the new one. Um, okay. So uh, for me, the angels were a big part of this script. It's, you know, you, it's, you have the angel of Portugal. That's how he identified himself to the children. And as the angel of peace and um, the guardian angel of Portugal. So uh, I couldn't, we couldn't, Original script, I had a lot more with him. In the end, it came down to that weird little thing in the beginning of the movie, if you know what I'm talking about, in the cave. And that's an example of how we, we just couldn't put more angel stuff in because of time. So that scene had to kind of fill in all of that, that the angel, we see him one more time. He's in the middle of when they're doing the death 
um, things uh, he appears. But um, it's a choice you had to make. And this one really cost me because I had written a couple of beautiful scenes with the angels and they, they just got left. They got left. Now, one of the reasons they got left is back to the director's issue. Um, oh, here's, by the way, the, the people of Portugal are very, very devoted to their angels, especially uh, the angel of peace, uh, who they believe saved them from being in uh, World War II. Right. Um, with, you know, Mary said, uh, because of your, the way you've welcomed me, you won't be in the next war. And in fact, they, they weren't. Um, but, um, anyway, uh, so one of the problems was because we couldn't, uh, raise the money, we had to have, uh, you know, pagan secular people who loved, uh, the idea of the film and why did they love the film? So the Europeans were drawn to the script because they are very, very proud of Fatima itself. These are people who do not have a shred of Catholic stuff in them, but they're proud of Fatima the way they're proud of Lourdes. In some ways, they're proud of the cathedral in the middle of their town. Like it's culturally, these are cultural artifacts around them. And so they wanted to do a movie about one of their great places of pilgrimage, even though they don't really believe in it. And so um, the director said to me at one point about the angels, you know, uh, we were talking about a, a few things, but he said to me, Barbara, we need to lose everything in this script that is too Catholic. And I said, Marco, this is a movie about a Marian apparition. What's too Catholic, though? What are you thinking? And he goes, well, there are words that are just, you know, people do not like that you Catholics, like, beat us over the head with. Words like sin. Let's get rid of that. I said, how can you have Fatima without sin? You're gutting the heart of it. So, um, you know, it got gutted and then it got put, some of it put back in. And so it's a bit of a hodgepodge. But what I'm telling you is when we make a movie, a feature film with unbelievers and we give them a position of content creation, like directing, you're in trouble. You're in trouble because they don't get it. Like you can hire them to be the cinematographer, hire them to be the costume designer, hire them to be a production designer, but keep the main core roles, creative producer, director, writer, in our hands. Um, but work with them in all the other levels because that's how we're going to convert them. right? We're going to give them a paycheck to do their thing. But uh, we make this mistake when we turn the movie over. Another one was this awful movie Silence that was done. You know, They gave it to Scorsese, who is an apostate. And it's a movie about apostasy. So of course he justified himself in the movie. What are we thinking? Um, and yet I, I've seen that error replicated because they're looking for the celebrity status, but you, can't, you cannot turn over our stories in, the main, in those main critical areas. Huh? Okay. Um, this is, uh, okay. So just, I know we're wrapping up. It's four and I'm, I'm now over time, but I just wanted to tell you my lovely little story that impacted me hugely because I went to Fatima for two weeks. And, um, so these are all pictures that I took and I went in December. Um, I went there December 8th and I stayed until December 22nd and it was cold and rainy and there was nobody there. I was the only person in the hotel. And, um, and so, um, yeah, I'm going to go through this here. Let me get to the, the heart of it here. Um, yeah. So 
uh, December. So what happened for me that I really then realized what the story was about because I was approaching it from the standpoint, you know, technically um, writing a movie about what happened and how to include everything. But um, so the night before, December 12th, the woman at the hotel said to me, ah, bada bada tomorrow, because I befriended her, tomorrow there will be people here for you to talk to. I was like, why? She goes, oh, he's the 13th. And I was like, really? In December? So the next morning I got up and I took this picture at 9 a.m. And there you have the kova and it was just dreadful. You know, and so I went over to say my rosary, and but I was struck at the same time of the kova, the same situation in 1917, pouring down rain, you know, whatever. It kept popping into my head. But anyway, so here's here's where we're talking. And this picture again, you see about 9 a.m. There's nobody there. And I was like, you know, it's freezing cold, icy rain, you know, whatever. Then at about 11 a.m., all of a sudden I start notice people start appearing. And they're just coming. They're just coming. And it reminded me again of how the people came, even on, on October 13th, you know, in, it says 2017, it was 1917, and how pouring down rain it was. And yet the people came, 70,000 of them. Um, and, and then, so here we are at 11.45, and I was just like, what has happened here? Uh, and then all of a sudden, somebody yells in Portuguese, she's coming, hmm? she's coming. And I looked, and all the way down at the end, there she was, and you know, she told them to build that little thing, and the four men carry her on their shoulder through the crowd, right? And, um, and there she is, coming. And, um, and the people start breaking out in song. Everyone has their handkerchiefs. They're waving and cheering, and she comes to her children. Huh? Um, uh, that, that idea of... Um, the faith of the people and how there's a thing about Fatima. It's like one of those places heaven has touched where it's easier to believe. And I experienced that. I found myself just weeping, watching the people just so full of joy that their mother was with them once again. Huh? And, and, and I wanted that in my movie. It gave me kind of the heart of hopefully... Uh, people can come away with this with kind of glimmer of um, this mother loves us and she has come to us to win us back in any way she can. Huh? So anyway, okay, that's, um, I have many more things to say. I guess uh, the last thing I would say is uh, the secular critics on Fatima. So yeah, we have right now it's a 50, I think it's a 54 or a 57 on real, real uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which is Sounds bad, but it's really good for a faith-based film. Most faith-based films don't even make it to 20% critical approval. But this is what some of the things, and again, I picked out the good ones here. There were some, some bad ones, but they weren't nasty. None of the reviews were nasty. Um, a film that in stark contrast to most faith-based fodder is gorgeously shot and designed. Um, NPR said, an old-fashioned but very beautiful film. Uh, Roger Ebert, Fatima is told simply but emotionally prioritizing the sensorial reality of the children's world and the people inhabiting it. This devotion to the real makes the holy vision palpable and plausible. Uh, Deadline Hollywood, an inspired retelling of a century-old story of a miracle in a small town in Portugal has remarkable relevance 
for this year of worldwide pandemic and the need to believe. Uh, TV fanatic, Fatima offers compelling performances and something different to think about than our 2020 troubles. Uh, and then finally, Isle Seat, the film takes faith seriously, leaving you with a beautiful, uplifting feeling afterward. So, you know, even though these people are antithetical to us, the movie they liked. And I, I wasn't in the business of making them like it, but I was hoping they would at least be open to it. And so the question would be, why is that? Why did the film work? And I think it was the story of Lucia and the mother as being the key, the heart. That's a human universal story that everybody can relate to. And then, yeah, there are beautiful cinematography in the film, some beautiful images, beautiful music. You can't negate the beautiful. It costs money, but there it is. All right, thank you very much. Thank you.